Salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of How You Feeling, a podcast dedicated to exploring the concepts of emotional intelligence in a real and practical way. As always, I am your host, Dr. C, and I am so, so, so excited to be here with you today. Uh, as always, we're joined by our favorite co-host, Dr. Jeff Haverland. Jeff, how are you feeling? Well, I, I'm really today, I'm kind of bouncing on that, you know, in our emotion wheel, we look at like um, that bad piece, but but more so because I'm just sleepy. I'm very unfocused. Um, uh, I'm not cr- really sure what's going on right now. I know I have a lot of irons in the fire and there's a lot of uncertainty with things, but but that kind of just has me in this weird place. But I feel like I have not had nearly enough caffeine this morning to function well. And and so um, I suppose that's something I can work on uh, as we go. <laughs> but um, what about you? How are you feeling? Well, if you need to get up and get a cup of coffee, throw me a question that's a little more long-winded and then a quick go run. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling very refreshed. Um, I am actually coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Uh, my wife and my children and my brother, we all packed up in a minivan and drove down to come um, half surprised slash half not surprised my mom and dad uh, so that they could meet their newest grandchild. Uh, and for us to just sort of get out of town for a few days and, and, and sort of refresh and recharge and all that. And so being home, um, you know, is such a good and real feeling and, and just sort of kind of rechecking in on your hometown and seeing how things are going and, and, and all that has just been really, really good. So we've been here for a few days and we've got a few days left to be here, but uh, it's been really good to just be somewhere different and be able to just be and, and, and converse and remember the good old days, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a very good um, last 96 hours, and I'm looking forward to uh, what the rest of the trip has to bring. So we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, so today um, we are talking, this is today sort of the second half of uh, another one of our foundational concepts. Last time we talked about the idea of thoughts and more that cognitive process. Uh, and this time we jump into the affective process uh, and, and explore the idea of feelings and emotions. Uh, and so this is a, a fun topic for us to talk about because I think this is one of those topics that people talk about sort of casually. And I think by the time we're done today, we're going to see that there's a lot more to emotions than perhaps any of us really let on uh, until we're forced to sort of face it. Uh, and so in saying that, um, you know, there's a lot of research, you know, libraries worth of research on emotions. And, you know, I think if you, if you studied even the top of the iceberg for those, sort of the same core ideas emerge from, from these research studies. And I think it'd be helpful if Jeff and I went through these, these core tenets before we jump into the questions, because it'll help give you guys an idea of where we're coming from when we're talking about feelings and emotions. So, Jeff, of those those main ideas, what was one that really stuck out to you? Well, I, I think what would probably be good is to lead out with what those dimensions are. And, you know, when we talk about emotions, we're talking about things like joy and sadness, trust, disgust, fear, anger, surprise and anticipation. And so, you know, quite a range of, of things in there that that, you know, it, it's interesting that you can almost sum up everything we experience into um, eight areas, but but it, it does make sense when you you kind of see it written out or laid out. But um, so yeah, that it, in fact, as complicated as we seem, really 
you know, we, we're pretty simplified in knowing that we kind of, you know, come from one of these eight core areas into um, more specific uh, emotions that we're dealing with. And so um, what about you? What, what would be one piece of the research that, that sticks out for you? Sure. Before I do that, I just want to say, I think what always interests me when you, when you read that list is look at how many of those emotions are negative versus how many of those are positive. Yeah. Uh, and so it always just blows my mind that there is so much more negative emotion that exists. And, and it makes sense why people can find it challenging to channel happiness and joy when so much more of that, that those core emotions uh, trend negative. So that always blows my mind. Well, and I'm glad you said it because it's the truth. And until you said that out loud, now I'm looking at the list going, wow, no wonder we all struggle sometimes to stay on top of our, um, you know, happy, healthy well-being when when there seems to be so much other stuff that that's kind of, you know, tending or trending negative. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that has always stuck out to me as far as one of those core main ideas is that uh, emotions come and go. You know, I think one of the ways that, that I internalize this is in the cases where someone has asked me how I'm feeling or and I've asked someone else how they're feeling and they give me that, well, I feel, but I can't really put my finger on it. Well, that's because emotions sort of pop up and then go back, go back, like sort of like, like waves, like in a tide, like they come in, they stay for a little bit and they go back out. And so sometimes when several waves are coming in at the same time, it's hard to put a name on what that combination of feelings is. And so we feel various emotions throughout the day. Um, you know, again, they can last seconds or they can last minutes. And I think the longer that we allow them to hang around, that's when they can transition into that idea of what a mood is, right? So if you just feel an emotion sort of in a singular moment, that's just an emotion. But if you let that emotion guide uh, your state of mind through a, a portion of the day, that's when that thing turns into a mood. And so I think that's something to, to, to be aware of too, is that, you know, we talked about how in emotional intelligence, the goal is not to always be happy, but the goal is to understand that you, you ultimately have the power to be in an emotional state and you have the power to change that emotional state if you no longer want to be in it. And that takes years of practice. And even the most emotionally intelligent people still struggle with it. But when we understand that emotions come and go based on a host of factors, sometimes that can help us say, okay, well, I'm feeling this way now, but I don't really want to be feeling that way. So what can I do to get out of it? And what, you know, what new beach can I go to with a new set of waves, that sort of thing. Well, and so along with your idea, I, I always, you know, you get invited to places, these if you get invited to a larger gathering, you know, prior to having, you know, our current restrictions, but you walk in that room and you know, no one, but the person who invited you and you can actually, if you pay attention to your emotions at that moment, you really go through this huge cycle of that. You know, you might have a lot of anxiety. You might, um, it, it, it's really kind of overwhelming. And then you see somebody and you're happy and you might see somebody else and you're not as happy anymore. And, and so I, to me, getting into social settings, especially that whole idea of coming and going. I mean, if you think of how seeing a certain person can completely change your mood, good or bad, or your emotion, good or bad, just for a fleeting moment, it, it's pretty powerful how they do come and go. Yeah, for sure. 
what's another one for you? So, you know, I think it's important that people know that emotion, um, it can be mild, it can be intense, it can be anywhere in between, you know, and that it makes sense. You know, we get irritated with little bitty problems, but, you know, those little bitty problems can build up and they can cause a colossal, you know, almost meltdown. Um, and so we are all over the board on this continuum. Um, and I, I think it's important that when you think about that, even on happy occasion, um, you you are experiencing happiness at a different level. You know, your friend may have had this huge promotion um, and you you are excited for them. You're happy for them. And at the same time, you start to think about, well, where am I at? And so your emotion may not be the same as them, even though you're in what we would consider to be a happy moment. You know, you're at a wedding and everybody's happy, but you're not the same probably amount of happy as uh, maybe the people actually getting married. And hopefully you're not happier than them, but, um, you know, at that moment. But, but I think it's important to know that we all exist on a continuum. And just because you're happy doesn't mean I have to be the same level of happy um, that I'm allowed to exist on, on that, you know, that range of, of happiness or any emotion that you want to put in there. So, um, so what do you think about that? Do you, do you, do you believe that, that you really can, you can be at the same situation and people could be in different places on that? Oh, for sure. You know, I, I think how, how situations resonate with us ultimately guide kind of our emotional response. Um, you know, and I can, and I can think of even being in a similar version of the same situation and, and my degree of emotion is different based on a host of factors. You know, I think, you know, uh, uh, yeah. So back, uh, back in college, I worked for a college football team and the first few times we met our new head coach and he would yell, boy, the fear of God was in all of us. Like, oh, we don't want him to do that. Like, why is he yelling that? That's kind of scary. And so we were very fearful of that. But then we started to find out yelling was his communication method. And so for the rest of the season, he would yell about things. And towards the end of the season, it was kind of, okay, there goes coach again. And so the situation of him yelling is the same because it, it sort of was a consistent force on his end our emotional response to that changed in magnitude because, oh, that's just his way. But sometimes you don't know that right away. Or, or sometimes, you know, you're not, you're not prepared for it early on, but once you sort of get the, the, the trend, you're like, okay, well, here he goes again. We'll let him blow off his steam and then we'll move forward. <laughs> and so I think being, even being in the same situ type of situation, our emotional responses can be more vivid or less vivid depending on other factors that go on. Good. So, okay. So take that, even that example, when, you know, you're, you're screaming coach, does that lead to any other, um, you know, revelations from this research we're looking at? Sure. And I think that's a great segue. And I think one of the ones that, that I always sort of marvel at is if you think about emotions and behavior, emotions are those jump off points, you know, they're the ones that cause that motion. You know, I think about sort of the cognitive versus the affective process, and I have lots of thoughts of things, boy, you know, I really need a new computer or boy, I really need X, Y, or Z, or I want X, Y, or Z. And you can sort of suppress thoughts based on other things. Well, yeah, I really would love a new laptop, but, you know, 
we need to buy something for my daughter or, you know, we need to stock this money away in case blah, blah, blah. But think about those times that you've been in line at the grocery store or in any, any commerce setting. And you see that thing that sparks nostalgia or you see that thing that, that reminds you of a person and you would never, or not never, but you would rarely buy that thing ordinarily, but that emotion, that feeling of, of something from your past pushes you to go do that thing. Like, oh, I, think, I remember when I played Little League and, and that candy bar was at the concession stand and I would always get one after, oh, okay, dang it, I'm getting one. And so emotion, you know, thoughts can sort of be managed more easily from a action standpoint. But anytime, you know, so we sort of have those impulsive decisions or, or, or even just, you know, I think of like arguments or, or spontaneous laughter, like they come about from an emotion, not so much a thought. Um, and so that's always something that's always been, you know, very revolutionary to me is the thought that, that emotions are driving forces behind our behaviors and they, they push us to behave because you want to act on whatever that, that feeling was. I agree. Yeah, that's that is for certain. And, you know, I like your example of the having the candy bar. I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you get that nostalgia and then you go for it and you, you eat it or do it. And you're like, oh, my God, this is not what my brain used to believe it was. I think it's like peanuts. <laughs> have you ever eaten those orange circus peanuts? Uh, uh, no, oh, I've never had. Oh, my before. God, because growing up, you're like, oh, these are so good. And, or a, a peep. I'm not a peep fan. Oh, neither am I. Oh my. my niece loves Yes. That. And so, you know, people are like, oh, it's Easter. Let's eat a peep. I'd rather microwave my peep, blow them up really big. And and that's it. I can't eat them. They're garbage. Like I, I saw this meme the one time that made me laugh about the best way to eat a peep. Open the package and throw them in the garbage. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just that it's interesting that whole motion, you know, you then get to deal with whatever that new uh, emotion that, you know, results or that, you know, you do it, you try to, to get that nostalgia back. And then you're like, huh, way better when I was seven, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, one of the last pieces of, of research on this then that we're going to talk about before getting into this a little further is that whenever, you know, you're dealing with emotions, we need to also understand that they can be expressed, whether we, you know, like acting out both productively and unproductively. And that hopefully is more common sense than anything. But but it is important to know that our emotions can make us do really goofy things um, that may or may not be received well. And, you know, I, the distinction between productive and unproductive is interesting because what can seem very productive to you might seem incredibly unproductive to another person. And sure, um, I, I think this this expression of emotion is is such an interesting thing. And I, I think it's one of those truly like defining points of maturity is when you really can understand how to express emotion in a way that, you know, fulfills your needs and yet it doesn't necessarily detract from the emotions and needs of others. And so, um, you know, so we've gone through all of these, these ideas. And so now let's just dig a little deeper into it. And sure. so I guess I'd ask you, you know, how often do you pay attention to your emotions? And, and does it really even make a difference for you that you're paying attention to them? Sure. Well, I would say 
me circa 15, 20 years ago, probably not much. Um, you know, I was in the moment. I was selfish. I was, uh, you know, coming out of high school into college, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think when you're in that me mode, you tend not to consider those sort of things. And I think um, since transitioning to a young adult, um, and especially since uh, taking on studying and teaching and then really engaging with emotional intelligence uh, materials, I've become a lot more aware of and, and I pay a lot more attention to my emotions because, you know, and I think I was going to going to jump on the back of your last point, but I think it can play in here, too, is, you know, one of the things that amazes me is that emotions come in clusters, right? Like you can feel happy and sad and disappointed and, and anxious all at the same time. And there's not really a name for that, but it's kind of that feeling pulled in different directions. Yes. And I think I think once you once you realize that other people are counting on you for things or you have responsibilities in different arenas, you you are almost called to to pay more attention to your emotions because acting on one or another in one arena can 100% impact outcomes in a different arena. Um, and I think that's something that we as, as humans and individuals are not born really paying attention to. You know, I think once you learn that idea of consequential thinking, that's when that really sort of comes into focus is, you know, I really want to react this way to this person, but how could that impact even tomorrow's dealing with them or, or later in the days dealing with them if I do? Um, or, or, or even, you know, I think about, you know, I've had a few students over the last few years that, um, that, that many have largely turned their backs on. And certainly you could see why if you deal with them even for one or two meetings. And I think, you know, as I've been more aware of my emotions, my thought is I can't be the next person to also dismiss this person. And so you know, even in dealing with that, I'm aware of the emotions of, okay, I've got a meeting with this person, I need to completely reset and just be ready to listen and hear what they have to say, knowing that it's going to go in one of two directions, because that's the way they're going to take it. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, lately, I've been so much more aware of my emotions, because how I act on them, largely dictates large phases of my day or large parts of relationships with with people that I care about and that I trust and that are trusting me. So what about you on that one? Well, you know, I, when you're talking about the clusters of emotions and that's your second good catch of the day, you know, that that whole idea, um, you know, I think of when I've transitioned jobs, you know, I've I've never left a job to this point um, that I was, you know, I left at a good time where I feel like I was really in a good place you know, at, and I've done really good work for the organization I was with and then moving on. And I think of, you know, when I left my job as a teacher and then I left my job as a curriculum person, then I left my job as a principal. Um, it's funny how you can look back and you're, you know, I, I remember taking a picture of when I left my job as a principal as I'm driving out of the parking lot. And it's this feeling like, wow, I think I really did good work here. Um, I'm really proud of the work I did. I'm scared as all hell because I'm walking into something I have no idea about. Um, I'm sad because I'm missing, you know, I'm walking away from people that I may or may not ever see again. Um, and so that cluster of emotions can be a really confusing mess. And, 
you know, I, one time that probably sticks out the best is when I, a friend of mine who currently lives in Dubuque now, but, um, had, he and I were RAs together at, at Loris. And so, um, he told me that he was leaving Dubuque and going back to Oklahoma. And I sat with my legs crossed in my apartment and I cried and laughed. And like, I went through this like psychotic range of emotion that, that I could hardly even process. Um, thank God, Amy was the only one hanging around to watch me do that mess. But, um, but I think the whole idea of clustered emotions is important. And sometimes you do feel like you lo- you're losing your mind in that, you know, it, you're cycling between extremes. Um, but I, I think the more you can pay attention to yourself and then give credence to those emotions, you know, I'm sad that he's leaving. I'm incredibly happy that he is getting what he wants. Um, but, but, you can only really reflect on those things if you have good control over, you know, are you able to pay attention to your emotions? Do you know um, why or what is causing them and, and how are you acting on those? And so I think for me, being able to pay attention to those is huge. It's huge to deal with my kids um, that, you know, there are times I want to just like pop off and start screaming but I know exactly where that will get me when my 15 year old daughter rolls her eyes at me. Um, And so I have to learn to temper myself knowing that at 15 she's learning to temper, but it's really not her um, ultimate goal. Uh, She's going to get her emotion out on the table, whether I want it or not. And so it helps me work into the situation and then process through it when when things don't quite go the way I had hoped. Um, but knowing that if I act a certain way, it's just going to make it worse. Uh, sure. So yeah, for me, I I've gotten very, I've gotten more skilled. I'm not perfect at it, at emotions. Um, and it, but as you learn, as you go through things, as life kind of kicks you in the shins, um, and you go high to low, you, you really start to, um, kind of grab that whole idea that um, if you're aware of what you're do- of what's happening to you, you can use it for a really a better outcome, even if, yeah. even if it's not a positive emotion at that point. Sure. Sure. I agree. Um, so let's dig on that one a little bit then, because you sort of were hinting at this with, especially with your family, but how often do you think you pay attention to other people's emotions and how is that, altered relationships or, or, or situations? So I would tell you that if, if I had a, a good fault, this is my good fault. Um, I pay attention to other people's emotions to an extreme. Like I, I am constantly processing what people are thinking, what their tone may be, what, um, what may have happened prior to that. And, you know, this isn't a bad thing, but at the same time, I can spend so much time trying to pick apart what's going on and maybe even going in the wrong direction. Um, But what it has helped me do is get more in tune with people to to actually be in the moment with that person. And so I do pay attention to emotion. You know, I I I can you know, it's kind of liken it to um, reading the room, as we've talked about before, that you really need to just have a sense of what you're walking into um, and how you are planning on sharing news or retaining news or 
um, you know, whatever that may be. Now, it can, like I said, take away because you spend so much time trying to pick them apart and you may be really picking apart the wrong thing. So if it seems like somebody I'm with is angry and I decide to pursue that path and ask them why they're angry and they're not really angry, you know, you can actually create some pretty funny, not funny laughing, but very odd circumstances where you actually back them into a new emotion that they had no idea they were dealing with until you decided to put a spotlight on it. And so, um, yeah, so I do pay attention a lot. And again, like I said, I think it's a good fault. I think I would be much more protected, my personally protected, if I didn't do this all the time, because, you know, as soon as you start really tuning into the emotions of other people, you open up like this gulf of vulnerability that, you know, it, you have to tread lightly with what they're experiencing. And at the same time, you also have to make sure that you're not drowning in whatever's happening there. So, so what about you? Are you, are you good at this idea of paying attention to other emotions? Well, I'd like to think I am too. You know, I I think one of the things that you and I share is, is um, sort of a deep availability to our own emotions and then sort of into reading the room and, and, and getting a good climate of things. You know, I think while it is important in other phases of my life, I think nowadays it's never been more important than as an educator. Uh, and with all of the issues that our students are dealing with, never mind the classroom, um, to just try to, you know, I think, I think that's part of that empathy piece. But I think, and as much as you and I do it, you know, I almost feel like that's part of what it means to be an educator is, is to be available and to be present with our students, because that's, that's part of that, that I'll say contract. So pardon me, but you know, that's one of the things that we sign up for. It's not just, I come into a room, I give a lecture and I walk out like you're a part of these kids' lives and, and to show them, Hey, I'm human too. And and I get how you're feeling and let's talk about it. Like you're right. It, It can be very, you know, I know at the end of the day, when I get home, if I'm ready to fall asleep, I literally gave everything that I had that day, um, either, either to my own work or to my students' work. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that, that, yeah, like you said, that that self-care piece is so, so big because you have to be able to reset for the next day or reset for the next phase of the day, right? Like, so if, if my work day is seven to three, and then I go pick up my, my, my kids from daycare and then my wife gets home from work. I now have to be able to be ready for that set of emotional needs from my family, um, different from what I experience in the workday. And so, yeah, being, being aware of those things is a huge, huge asset to, to working through relationships and, and, and managing situations. And so, yeah, I, I think that, that I do it well. I continue to work at it. Um, and I, and I continue to work to be available that way, because I know sometimes people just want someone to talk to. Um, and, and certainly I am open and willing to do that. So I think, but that comes with practice and that comes with, with being in those situations. Well, and you, you hit on another one. So you're, you're like three for three now, this, this idea that you go home and you're tired, you know, you gave everything, but but you don't get to just be done. And this is a lesson I'm continuing to learn as, you know, 
when I, you know, it used to be different. I would come home and I was single and it was my issues. And then I was married and we were sharing issues. And even when we had kids, we were sharing similar emotions and issues. We were able to really just still focus on ourselves. But as our kids have gotten older, as they've developed into um, like people, you know, with with their own flood of emotions and needs and things like that. Now you're walking home and you're walking through the door and you're dealing with multiple levels of emotional need. And, you know, I, I found a problem when I first started teaching, I would become so vested in, I would give so much every single day that I had nothing left to give when I would get home. And I would, I would typically walk in seeming like I already had a chip on my shoulder that I, I had no space. I had no ability to deal with anything. And it really was unfair for my family. And so it took me some time and some practice to realize that even if I come home spent, I need to be able to compartmentalize that because I have other people looking to me to help them deal with their emotions or to just share their emotions. Um, and, you know, this really becomes apparent now. I have a son. Well, Jack has um, he got hurt playing soccer last week and we think he has a pretty bad sprain. Hopefully it's not a break. And, you know, he's looking to play soccer at St. Ambrose this summer or this fall. And so now his whole life is up in the air about this. And, you know, you want to be that person where he's like, I'm, I'm worried about this. What if I can't play? And you want to be the one who'll be like, don't worry, it'll all be great. But that's not an emotionally responsible thing. You know, it's it's more so helping him process through that. OK, so if there is something wrong. We're going to have to really double down on therapy and we're going to have to do these other things to get you back into um, shape in order to play. And so, you know, this emotional availability to me is is just so such a big thing. And like I said, you hit that like, again, three for three, grabbing the ones that that uh, we kind of glossed over otherwise. And that is just so critically important that we're aware of ourselves. We're aware of each other. And we're able to to really offer each other what we need. Yeah. yeah. So good call. Good catch on that one. Um, so, OK. Wow. I just totally lost my train. Sorry, Kevin. I, I... No, you're fine. <laughs> so um, what do you think we could do then to become more aware of our emotions? Person, let's just talk about our own emotions. Okay. How, how would you, how do you become more aware of it? What do you do? Sure. So I, I think that, that as a starter technique, especially for those in listener land who are just sort of starting on this journey, for me, uh, the power of reflection. Uh, you know, I, I, I spend uh, parts of my day working back through situations that I, that I, you know, acted on or, or, or conversations that I had or, or, responses that I gave and and I really am critical of okay how did I come into that situation what was the 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 tipping point that caused me to react one way or the other and how can I do that differently next time and I think reflection is one of those things that when it exists in a vacuum you will always come up with the right conclusion for the next time Right. Like I think reflection or that, 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 that idea of hindsight um, is, is both powerful and limiting because, well, no, no, duh. You know, I should have. Rea- well, 
no, you, you, in, in given situations, you don't always have all of the information and that information doesn't always come out until after you've reacted to the situation. And so, you know, I think one of the things that I've told myself and also told my, my students is we as humans always react to a situation in, in what I'll say is like, like based on the information that we have, the people that are involved, the timing of the day, et cetera, et cetera, you always make the best decision on what the, on the information that you have, whatever that information is. And so I think that can be tough to hear when a lot of those decisions are negative decisions, but it's one of those where if I rewound that situation and let you do it again, you would react the same way a hundred percent of the time because what you, you don't have that benefit of hindsight rewinding, right? Like it literally is just replaying that situation. And so Fortunately for us, in the long run, we do have this power of reflection and this power of hindsight where we can go, you know, I, I reacted how I wanted to react, not how maybe I should have reacted, and it did not go well for me. And so now I think I need to choose a different reaction the next time so that that conversation can be more productive or so that that relationship can be enhanced and not torn down. But I think reflection takes a lot of work. You know, early on, I, I did a lot of journaling with it as a way to sort of go back and look at a hard copy of some of those reflections. You know, now I'm able to do that more mentally and, and without writing down. But there are still times where I'll write things down just to be able to help process my thoughts better. Um, and so so my answer to that, sorry, a little long winded would be reflection um, with an, an undertone of journaling if writing things down helps you. What about you? Well, I love your idea of reflection. And I, I think as an educator, that's been something that's been pounded into my head, um, you know, since getting into this profession. And, you know, that, that notion of not having, you know, we'd love to be Monday morning quarterbacks, you know, in real time, be able to figure it out and act differently. But, you know, it is important to know that, as you said, you know, given the exact same circumstances and the exact same knowledge base, more often than not, more probably uh, nearly 100 percent, you're going to make that same choice um, that you did. And, and so for me, when I look at my own kids and then students that I teach, fine, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe you chose wrong. Maybe right now you are sad. You are um, feeling defeated. But what can you learn from that? And, and we all know the longer you are alive on this planet, you learn that, you know, eventually the road you end up on is the road you were probably always meant to be on. It just didn't quite go in the way that you wanted it to. But again, that only we only get that with with the, the ability to actually reflect on it. And so I tell my son this a lot. You may not know now what that choice did for you or this choice may feel bad right now or wrong right now but down the line you may look back on it and say well that was the best choice because without it i wouldn't be here and sure. and so um i love the idea of reflection it's something we do in my family all the time whether it be individual or together or you know it and like i used to write stuff down i wish i'd have written down more i seriously could have had such a good book at this point in my life <laughs> i would read it. yeah hey thanks but so yeah that to me i think just truly being aware and and i really have gotten to the point where i can reflect at a moment's notice and say 
okay, that just really came out snarky. I need to fix this right now, unless that person deserves snarky. And so then I need to be able to, to draw back and say, okay, that's not what the emotion was. And if you've ever like snapped at somebody who is really not doing anything wrong and you go, oh my God, that was horrible. Um, well, be a good person then and say, hey, wow, that was really out of line, you know? And so by doing that, by being accountable for your emotions, I think that adds to that reflective piece um, because you got to own what you are and, and then learn from that. Um, yeah. I, that's just key to being a good adult. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was going to say reflection allows you to have the, the space to say, I'm sorry, when you're in the wrong. And I think without reflection and without learning from something, you never realize that you're wrong. So that's a good point that you made. Okay, so what, when you think about it then, um, you know, about understanding feelings and emotions, give me some examples of handling emotions in a healthy way. Sure. So, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, I'll go back to reflection. You know, I think that, that after the action has happened, you know, sort of taking the time to debrief and give yourself that space. You know, one of the things that I use when I'm, when I'm working at trying to um, be aware of other people's emotions. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago is that idea of check-in, right? Asking people how they're feeling, you know, what's going on in their day, how, how are our, our situations approaching them, et cetera, you know, by, by, by letting people know that you care by that question that can help them help you understand their emotion better, but it can help them understand their emotion better too. And so I think, Check-in is a great strategy for that. Reflection is a great strategy for that. Um, I think healthy dialogue is a great way to manage emotion in a healthy way. You know, I know we, we've talked uh, in the past about sort of I statements and that idea of, hey, I felt this way when you did this action. Here's why that either makes me feel good or doesn't make me feel good. Can we talk about it? Um, and then the other thing that I think um, has really helped me manage emotion in a very healthy way. And I know that I've, I've beaten this drum a few episodes already is listening to learn not to respond um, and really sort of getting the, the full idea of another person's reaction or emotional response or decision before I offer my thoughts on it. Because sometimes their, their story or their explanation can start down one path but ultimately end up on a different one. And if you only react to part one, you might shut them down or, or cause a fight or cause something where if you just would have listened to the whole thing and sort of took, took taken the main idea, uh, perhaps your reaction would have been very different uh, or maybe there's no reaction, reaction at all. Uh, and so listening to learn not to respond has been a huge way for me to also help um, manage my emotions in a healthy way. What about you? Well, I actually want to, ask you a question on that. So if, sure. um, you know, you talk about managing emotions in a healthy way and having dialogue, do you think in order to have healthy relationships, your dialogue always has to be positive? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I, I think, you know, I, I think we talked about this a few episodes ago, but I think trust, trust in the other person and in yourself um, is, a, is, a, is a big, big piece of interpersonal communication. But I think Humans, 
do and are allowed to disagree, right? Like we're all individuals with our own experiences and our own knowledge bases. And if we all thought the same about everything, you know, there would not be a need to have 7 billion people in the world. You only need one person because we were all going to do the same thing anyway. Um, and so I think, uh, no, I, I think that many of my best conversations with, with friends and family, new acquaintances have been about challenging situations or, or tough reactions or, or disappointments where it has allowed us to build trust with each other, you know, show that vulnerability to each other that we can talk about not happy things with each other. And I think that that has really helped grow a lot of my relationships is not just talking about the good things, but really communicating that discussion needs to happen around less favorable emotions. So when do you think that changed for you? You know, you talked earlier about when you were young and you kind of lived in the moment. When do you think you actually, you realized that good conversation, good emotional um, awareness really can have a lot to do with, you know, potentially negative subjects? Sure. Uh, Probably when I started graduate school. Um, You know, I think that's where, you know, I think many educational programs and levels um, like to talk about critical thinking. But I think for me, that that idea of really being critical in your thought happened when I started my master's program and then continued on into, um, you know, my, my terminal degree uh, and, and, and understanding that even in the research that you read, two different authors have published papers on two different sides of an issue. And neither is less valid because they've walked you through their process. And so I think understanding there that you can look at a situation, in my case, in sport management, things like ambush marketing or or, um, different marketing tactics or different management tactics and ethical decisions and legal decisions and all of that. And two people can look at a situation in a very different way and both be right, right? Like just because you disagree with me doesn't mean that you're wrong. And I think in grad school is where I first learned, you know, in real, in real time that there are macro level situations that people see differently on and being able to sit and talk through them in a healthy way, because again, the goal is to understand and to learn not to respond. You know, I think that's, that's one of the things that graduate school really pumped into me was listening to learn from someone else's experience, listening to learn from someone else's reality because that's what's shaping their view of the situation. And I don't think I got that in, in, in bucket loads until I really started that process. Good. Yeah. And I, that I was kind of hoping that would be, you know, the direction that, that you went with that. And, you know, I do think though, in our learning of our emotions and dealing with them in healthy ways, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, most of us spend a lot of time learning, learning, learning. And, you know, I think this, our current reality um, dealing with, um, you know, tensions right now in, in our country, you, you got to look at the fact that sometimes not everything can necessarily be thrown on the table and discussed. You have to have, I think sometimes you have to have the ability to really just see that, you know, certain things you might have to learn on your own, that, you can't ask people to tell you 
why they're feeling a certain way or, you know, why their way is more important or less important than other people. It It's sometimes about sitting back and being able to really just get in deep enough with the person to to put together what life has you know been for them prior to that moment and maybe that gives you good insight on where they're at and what they need and so you know i think it's important that you there is healthy dialogue uh, but at the same time as you've said before you definitely need to listen to hear what they're saying and sometimes you need to put those pieces together in order to decide how you'll step forward next, but not necessarily, you know, interrogating them on, you know, why do you feel this way? Well, sometimes it's on us. That onus is on us to figure that out. Sure. And so, like, I just more and more politically with everything that's happening um, with uh, racial tension and and it's. Sometimes, you know, you you really just have to pay attention, read books, get a little educated. And from there, you can enter a healthy dialogue where you're not necessarily asking people to justify their emotions, but rather you're really starting to understand their emotions and why they may differ from what yours are. So they're yeah. a political soapbox. And I'll apologize for that after the fact now, but no, no, no. <laughs> so so then, Jeff, how about let me let me push you that in, in that direction of and, and again maybe not so much with you but in things that you've witnessed what are some ways that you've seen people manage emotions in unhealthy ways well i think honest to god what's <laughs> our our what i just kind of spoke to our climate right now you know it you talk about people blowing up and lashing out um and you know but there's reasons people do i think unhealthy ways is because, you know, it's like, so you're mad, you're angry. So now I'm going to be angry because you're angry. And I'm going to be angry because you're angry about something that is making me angry. I mean, it's such a weird thing where, you know, well, you're protesting, so I'm going to protest you. Um, you accuse me of this, but I accuse you of this. And I, I think this has really come to a head as of late. And it's absolutely frightening the way that you know it takes place you look you you think about violence and i don't agree with you so instead of talking it out or instead of respecting differences i decide that i'm going to act violently toward you or vice versa and and that is really just an unbelievably unfortunate reality of our our world right now and i get always be you know like kumbaya around the the campfire kind of thing but it, there is something really important about not always. And my wife will tell you, I'm terrible at this because sometimes she'll want to box with me about something and I will start dredging up past events in order to top her so that I can have a better argument. And it's really not a healthy way of doing things. So instead of dealing with stuff when it happens, I would put it in this little bank account that I could, you know, whip out at any moment to just try to, you know, my, my emotions are more important. And it's something I've had to work on my whole life and I'm getting better at it, but, but there is a challenge in that where, you know, it is okay for somebody else to get mad and be mad without you being mad at them for that emotion. And right. that comes from just understanding, 
and being educated. And so, you know, I think other people deal with this negatively. Like, and I know I do this. My son will call me out. He'd be like, you're being passive aggressive right now, where I'll kind of get that silent treatment where I'm just like, I'm done talking to you. And, you know, that is not an effective way. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you have to because you know what's going to come out of you next will not be productive. But it isn't it, you know, silent treatments and, you know, anytime you explode kind of in a violent way and not just violent, like physical, but just emotionally off the charts. You know, those are negative ways of dealing with it. Yeah, we all do it. We all have our meltdowns. It's, you know, what we do to either help tone down that meltdown or to make amends for that meltdown that I think is really important and really shows emotional maturity. But yeah. so anything I'm missing on unhealthy ways? Uh, well, that, that's largely what I was going to say too, but I was going to say, Jeff, you made a good point, but I think that there's definitely a difference between a passive aggressive silent treatment and a, a very frank looking that person in the eye and saying, listen, nothing good is about to come out of my mouth. So I think it's best that, that I just sort of remove myself from this situation and, and we can come back to it later today. And I think, you know, version A is the immature or, or unhealthy response, but, but, but version two is very much a healthy response to say, you know, to know when to walk away, but to do it in a way that lets the other person know I'm not invalidating anything you're about to say. I just know I'm not in a good headspace to react to this right yep. now. So let's table it or, or let's just part ways for a little bit and we can come back to it after I've had a soda or I've had a snack or I've had a few minutes to reflect and let's come back to it. Um, because I think that that, that that kind of walk away is 100% okay because you're acknowledging to the other person that you need to, to, to check in with your headspace where the, the passive aggressive version is just, nah, okay, I'm out, whatever, and you walk away. Well, that's not helping anything. Um, but it does. So sometimes. I, well, okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right. So. No, but I think, yeah, I think that's what I was going to say too, is just when you see people blow up, I think imp sometimes impulsive decisions can be unhealthy ways of dealing with emotions. It's like, well, you know, the world's going to end anyway, or I'm going to die someday, so I may as well just wait, you know, that sort of thing. You know, and I know, I know I've done that before too, um, but sort of uh, that, that, that block of impulsive decisions that as, as soon as you do it, you go, oh, darn, like I, I probably, that was not the best way to handle that. But again, when the intensity of the emotion is that strong, you're not always able to see clearly through it. And so we are prone to those impulsive decisions. So Well, and I remember, I think of a, a family member who used to say that about like uh, credit, you know, like spend it who cares you're going to be dead one day and i finally said to him i'm like yeah but what if you live to be 110 and you know you're buried underneath all of that live in the moment debt you know and so sure um, yeah it's it's just it kind of just made me laugh because it brought back that conversation that ties right in with what you're saying that impulsivity can be a really unhealthy um reaction to our to our emotions sometimes yeah well, good. Well, I think um, we, we, we covered sort of the depth of feeling and emotions today. Any final thoughts or any kind of bow you want to put on this? I think for everyone out there, no matter how long you've been alive, no matter what your current age is, you know, we all have to get better when it comes to understanding our emotions and understanding the emotions of others and how you can coexist within that. Um, 
I think, again, it, it goes back to being an emotionally mature person. And we're not always that way. You'll make mistakes. You'll be impulsive. You'll blow up. But over time, you eventually learn how to make amends for that um, or, you know, own the behavior that you had. And so I think if, even if you're not great at it now, well, you might not be great at it when you're my age and maybe you won't be great at it when you're 60. But as long as you keep working at it, then, you know, understanding your emotions, it's just a lifelong kind of task. Uh, yeah, for sure. So how would you wrap it all up? Yeah, you know, I, I think this topic always is is very um, close hitting to me because, you know, I think back to sort of my academic experience to this point and social emotional learning is, is such a relatively new thing from a curricular standpoint. And I wonder how many of my friends and how many of my teachers and how many people that I came in contact with to this point would be on different paths if they were exposed to something like this back then. And, and, you know, I think it's just so important to get out to, to our listeners that emotions are natural. Um, emotions, as you can see from the core dimensions that we talked about at the beginning, are mostly negative or mostly displeasing. And it is so important to, to have somebody or, or somebody's in your life that you can talk to those things with because the, the, the sayings that, that hurt my heart the most are the, well, I just need to be tough or, or you know, I shouldn't cry because that's not a good, good outlet. You know what? Some of the best emotional responses I've had have been because of good cries. And so, you know, I just want to leave our listeners with, you know, experience emotions, be okay knowing that not everything is going to be happy. Um, and, and sometimes the greatest lessons and the greatest happinesses come from very negative emotions. Um, find a village that you can talk emotions with and be okay knowing that, that it is okay to experience and live your emotions. Because when we bottle them up and when we, we try to compartmentalize them, that's when those unhealthy blowups and those unhealthy impulsive decisions happen. And then sometimes there is no reversing that. Sometimes some of those decisions cannot be undone. Uh, and so know that there are people that want to chat with you uh, and that there are people that are here to listen if you think that, that there aren't. And, and Jeff, I'll use that as a, as a quick redirect because I know you do some work uh, with an organization that might benefit some people. So do you maybe want to plug that quick in case people are looking for a resource? Yeah. So um, if you are looking for a resource, somebody to talk through, like if you're or talk through things with, um, you can actually text out 741741. It doesn't matter what number or what word you, you text them, it'll pick up. Um, this is an organization called Crisis Text Line that they're really, our job is to make sure that you're in a safe space, that you are in a moment, a calm moment. Um, and it, so if you ever run into a time where you do feel like you're not being heard or you need somebody who, you know, really has no um, vested opinion, that sounds terrible. I don't like that that phrase but they'd have no knowledge of where you're coming from so you can just be heard then like i said text any word you can to 741741 and and they'll put you anonymously with somebody who can really help you walk through that awesome yeah and we'll we'll put that that information in the show notes as well in case you want a, a text version to go back to but thanks for sharing that jeff because i think a lot of times you know people say oh well i want to do better at that but i don't even have anybody i can talk to well there are resources available uh, for you to do that. 
Um, good. So now uh, for our call to action, similar to last episode, we want you to just sit in a, in a quiet space uh, and set a timer on your phone for one minute. And in that one minute, we want you to write down every emotion that you have felt to that point or that you are feeling in that moment and just start writing them down. Uh, and then when you're, when that minute expires, look at that, that list or look at that bubble and see what are the, what are the core dimensions that those emotions came from? Um, was that easy or hard for you to do? You know, I think as you get to learn the feeling wheel better and you become more versed in your emotional vocabulary, that process becomes easier, but maybe some of you are further along that path. And I would be very interested to see, uh, and Jeff would be very interested to see what your lists were and how many emotions you came up with. Uh, and again, what were the themes of those emotions? So again, sit in a quiet space, set a one minute timer, write down those emotions, and then send that list and your thoughts on it. And you can send that list to either of our two engagement handles. Uh, our podcast email address is howyoufeelingpodcast at gmail.com how the letter u feeling podcast at gmail.com or you can send that list to us at our twitter handle at huf podcast and either way we would be so excited to engage with you uh so jeff if people want to hear more from you in the social media world how can they do it um i can be found on twitter at haberlin j and how about you and you can find me in the twitterverse at kp katani uh so thank you so much for listening to our chat on emotions and feelings uh, it is so our pleasure to do this, and we look forward to being with you next time. Uh, so for both of us here at the podcast, uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to continue to take care of yourself, continue to take care of other people. And as always, thanks for listening to another episode of How You Feeling. Mm-hmm.